0: So I, we've actually, if you recall, a few weeks ago touched upon the topic of Messias Nefesh and Kiddush Hashem in the aftermath of um, the Pittsburgh um, story. And it's been on my head since then, and I've been learning about it and researching, and I'm still not at the end, but um, I had, there's a specific relevance to Hanukkah. The Medrash says, on the posuk Yaakov says to Yosef your brothers are shepherding the sheep in Shechem let me send you to them to see how they're doing Yaakov is completely oblivious to the animosity or to the degree of the animosity between the brothers and Yosef and Yosef says to him, Hineni I'm ready, your command is my Yep, your wish is my command. And the major says that whenever Yaakov would think back and remember this word of Yosef, Hineni, here I am, his may of his, he would feel his stomach tearing to pieces, saying, you, Yosef, knew how much your brothers hated you, and yet you've um, said to me, Hineni. And the Seif Chesidim says that how did Yosef know that it was appropriate for him to endanger his life in order to in order to fulfill this command of his father's? Surely, um, it would have been perhaps a much more um, sensible way of behaving to tell his father, "Well, actually, you know that would be a life-threatening uh, thing for me to go and do." And the Sefer Chesidim says that Yosef took a lesson from no less than Esav okay. quoting a different Medrash which says um, that, oh no it's not a Medrash, it's also the Sefer Chesidim, that Esav would, 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 would hunt animals for his father and Esav would routinely endanger himself to bring Yitzchak food and Yosef says to himself, look if Esav can endanger his life to bring food for his father, surely I should endanger my life to fulfill my father's wish." And many commentaries talk about this, Seyf Chesidim, and there's some obvious difficulties in understanding this. Um, First of all, we know that, with the exception of the three, what we call the three cardinal sins, um, it is one is obligated to one. What one does not one, if, when faced with the choice between death or violation of, let's say, the mitzvah of Shabbos or kosher, then the correct choice is a violation. Why? How do we know this? Anybody remember? How do we know that you're supposed to? Violate the mitzvah so as not to lose your life, unless it's in the face of the three cardinal sins. So the primary source is from the pasuk v'chaybahem, a Torah mitzvahs were given to live by them, v'chaybahem to live by Torah mitzvahs, <coughs> and <coughs> you have to. In, if, you, if if and mitzvahs is going to make you die, then you have to preserve your life. Preserving one's life is of um, paramount value. So what are we to make of? Yosef putting his life in danger in order to to fulfill the mitzvah of Kibadav, and how does this compute with the mitzvah ba'im to live by Torah mitzvahs, with Torah mitzvahs. Now, I hope to, I will return to that question shortly. There's a sikhah where the Rebbe, addresses the question, and it's not the Rebbe's question, this is a question which has been asked by hundreds of um, tens or hundreds of writers over the, over the generations. And we could get technical, and there's Rashi brings this story, Rashi brings a medrash. The medrash says, Yosef is in the field and he's looking for his brothers in Shechem. And he finds a person in the field. He meets a man. And he asks the man, where are my brothers? And the bro- his, his brother says, your brothers have left here. I heard them saying they're going to Doyson. And so Yosef goes to Doyson and he finds his brothers. And Rashi, based on the Gemara and the Medrash, um, interprets this as follows. The person whom he found was Gavril. Malach Gavril. Parenthetically, I'll, I'll interrupt with a cute story. Um, there was a the story is told of a poor man who came to a certain rabbi and he told him that your your this and this in this town, when I was passing through collecting um, begging alms, they they they, they 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 were middle of davening. They didn't want, they, they didn't give me any money. So the next time a chassid or di chassid whatever it was, came to this Rebbe, says to him, I have a question for you. In Chumash, very, in very close proximity to each other, we have um, we have two times an anonymous person identified as Ho'ish. One is when Yaakov wrestles with the angel, and the other is when Yosef meets the Ish on the field looking for his brothers. He says, the first one, Rashi says, Rashi, uh, Yaakov wrestles with the man. This is the angel of Esau. The second time it says, He finds the man. Rashi says, this is the angel, Gavriel. The same word, Ish. Why here are we talking about Esau, and here we're talking about Gabriel? So He says, it's a very simple thing. He says, Yosef is a 17-year-old lad. He's lost, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know where his brothers are. And he finds a person who's out there to help him. He says, look, I'll tell you where you need to go. When somebody does that, we know that's Malach Gabriel. Um, Yaakov, on the other hand, he meets this stranger. The guy's in no rush to go anywhere. He has all night. He's fighting. He's wrestling. The whole night. At the very end, just as he's about to leave, Yaakov tells him, give me a bracha. And he says, sorry, I gotta go daven. That's Esau. <laughs> so, he says, never be too busy davening to help your fellow Jew. Anyway, so back to the case at hand. So, he meets this man in the field, who's Gabriel, <coughs> and he tells him that um, your brothers have gone to which means a play on the word, saying that they have gone to try and plot, uh, to find uh, um, some sort of ruse or method with which they can dispose of you. And Yosef says, and Yosef indeed follows them to Doisan, he goes, he falls, he walks straight into their trap. That's what Rashi says in Chomish. And in the commentaries, there are various opinions as to what extent a, how literal this is, in other words well, was there, besides all this interpretation, was there actually a place called Dyson, or does no such place exist? That's one question. Another question is did Yosef get the hint? And if Yosef didn't get the hint, well, what was the point of it? Why was the Malach telling him this? Mm-hmm. And there's various approaches in the Mefarshim, there's Rashi, there's Ramban there's Rachaim um, be that it is m- as it may Clearly, Hashem wanted this to happen. This was the beginning of the fulfillment of the covenant between Brisbane and that the Jews would go down to Egypt. And so, clearly, with all the possible red flags that Yosef could have picked up on, this was part of the divinely orchestrated uh, plan. Uh, but at the same time, the Torah is again, to whatever degree you accept whether uh, Yosef understood it clearly or he may understood that it's a possible danger or that it's a definite danger or whatever approach you adopt. Clearly the Torah here is trying to um, demonstrate the, 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 the dedication that Yosef had towards filling the command of his father. That he whether completely consciously or subconsciously or semi-subconsciously, was willing to put himself out into an unpleasant situation in order to fulfill his father's command, like he said to Yaakov Hineni. Question. Yes. Did he have any foresight that this was going to lead to the fulfillment of his dreams? Would not appear to be so. So there was no no yet uh, understanding about that? Yeah, I don't think so. But there's a much more glaringly obvious question. The glaringly obvious question is what did Esav do? Let's just go back to the Sefer Chassidim for a moment. Um. Yosef went, put himself in a dangerous situation and he hunted animals for his father to eat. And he came home and he, and he fed Yitzchak. So he endangered his life in order to serve his father. What did Yosef do? What did Yosef accomplish? Nothing. His father told him, go and find out how your brothers are doing. What did Yosef accomplish? He only caused his father pain and distraught and suffering, what did he accomplish? Wh- wh- how does this, how does this add up? And so really we have here two, two, two questions over here. One question is, you know, last t- t- when I gave the class a few weeks ago about this, I, I m- mentioned to you the Rambam. Anybody, call me anyone concerning whom it says that he sh- ought to violate the mitzvah and not trans- uh, to transgress the mitzvah and not be killed. And he gave his life in order not to violate. So if a person was faced with um, let's say a, a choice of violating Shabbos Versus giving his life, and the halacha is that he has to violate Shabbos, with the exception of a shas hashmat. So, before before you all start racing, and we'll in yet to hopefully address many things that you're probably thinking about. But just just for, for, for right now, if there's a shas hashmat, if it's a time when there are there is a government or some body making decrees against Torah mitzvahs, so then you have to give your life for Shabbos. But if it's just uh, an individual who comes to you and puts a gun to your head and says, drive on Shabbos or else I'll shoot, so then the halacha is that you have to drive on Shabbos and save your life. What happens if you decide that I'm going to give my life and not drive on Shabbos? Says the Rambam, uh, perhaps the harshest expression that you could say about somebody, Hareze this is, he is liable for his life. I mean, this is... Um, you know, town to mount to suicide, and um, so uh, what are we to do with Yosef giving his life, Esau, Yosef, um, giving his life for the mitzvah of Kippur when clearly there was no obligation to do so, and the Rambam says HaRez HaMizchayev B'Nafshay. Secondly, even if for argument's sake um, will say, well, this was a situation where he was allowed to give his life or was even obligated to give his life for another mitzvah other than the three cardinals. Um, It would appear that that should only apply if he actually fulfilled the mitzvah. But here he didn't do anything. He didn't fulfill his father. He didn't bring back regard. The mission was bring me back regards, find out how your brothers are doing. He did not fulfill the mission. And he knew going into it that this is a dangerous place and it's more than likely that I'm not going to fulfill the mission. So, what was the point of this exercise? Yes, Shalom. Did he it was was yes, the purpose of this trip time. to get food mm-hmm. or to find out about the brothers? The brothers. Oh. Asaph was to get food. Okay. Did he really think they were going to kill him? So, like I said, I'm not going to get into all the different opinions, but it seems clear. I mean, according to, Rashi, it's, uh, it's, it's, according to Rashi, he knew very well what he was getting himself into. Rashi says very clearly, he told him they're trying to kill you and he went anyway. Even according to other commentaries where he wasn't so certain of it, he definitely had an inkling. That's, that seems to be oh, the. Um, is he supposed to tell his dad no? Dad sends him on a mission. He's to say, uh, I mean, I'm not to be a little bit creative, but uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a. <laughs> <something> <laughs> yeah. To that effect. Yeah. Why not? Could have said they want to kill me, I can't do it. They want to kill me, really want me to it. That's better. Yeah. So, what's better, to get killed or to tell your father that the brothers want to kill me? Yeah. Um. Tell your father. <laughs> um, David, can I trouble you for a cup and something in it? You want juice oh, you or you like? Pepsi? No, you're giving me choices already. I don't like choice. <laughs> Just, t- just heads up, at the class tonight, there will not be Diet Pepsi. You can be sure of that. <coughs> that Maybe. <laughs> okay, so, there's a lot of different places we could go from here, but... Let me first tell you what the rabbit says just to sort of tie up, I don't, instead of these leaving loose strings, let me sort of tell you what the Rebbe says about this particular question and its relation to Hanukkah, and then <laughs> we'll continue. Um, class started at 9.25, so I assume it's Sunday, people are not in a rush, and we could do the usual hour, even though it'll finish a lot later than it usually does. No, I have to leave. Okay. Uh, okay, so we'll, we'll try talk and about break. it tomorrow. Um... The Kass of Mishnah, yeah, the recorder's wrong. The Kass of Mishnah, um, one of the most classical commentaries on the Rambam, says like this: The Rambam holds. Remember, I just read to you the Rambam that if somebody gives his life in a case when he wasn't obligated to do so, he is liable for his life. Says the Kass of Mishnah. The Rambam holds that when the Gemara says transgress and don't be killed. This means you must transgress in order to save your life. But many complete, shlemim, complete, meaning mm-hmm. complete individuals. many, <coughs> they hold the imnerag v'loy ovar, that if a person was killed and did not violate Shabbos, for example, this is counted for him as a righteous deed. So the of Mishnah is bothered by the Rambam's um, unilateral um, s- um, dismissiveness of such an approach and clearly they, those who hold that it's a righteous thing they would argue that when the Gemara says transgress and do not be killed it is not an instruction but it is permission you have permission to violate and not be killed but it's not an instruction that you must violate and not be killed and the Nemuke Yosef writes that even the Rambam would agree, listen to this, the Nemuke Yosef argues that even the Rambam would agree <coughs> that a great man who is pious and a God-fearing Jew, and he sees that the generation have a certain um, porot, a, there's a certain um, big gap in, the, in a certain area of the generation's um, commitment, he is rasha, he's, it's permitted, he's, he's allowed to sanctify God's name and to give his life, even for a mitzvah, for a light or easy mitzvah, so that the nation should see and learn from him to be in awe and in love of God with their whole heart. So, the Nebuchadnezzar Yosef is attributing to the Rambam that the Rambam would agree to this. Now, so the Rambam says, if, if we're going to accept this Nebuchadnezzar Yosef, we can make sense of all of this. It says, Yosef, what, is this, what, is, what does this actually mean? Let's just think about this for a minute. What does this mean? That if you are pious and important and you see that there's a certain area in which people really need to have an example, then you could give your life what does that actually mean? What are you giving your life for? Suddenly we, we have three cardinal sins and we have um, 609 non-cardinal sins, so ha, what, what just changed? That because you're, you're Eurasha Mayim and because the generation need a lesson? Okay. The point over here is not, I, I think that's what you mean <coughs> to say, but I'm just going to explain it a little bit better. The point over here is not that suddenly let's talk about this sicha. It's not suddenly that kibud became upgraded to a cardinal sin for which you must give your life. It's because dedication to Torah has become a cardinal thing to give your life for. And so says the Rebbe, Yosef. We find in many things. First of all, Yosef, of course, is the reshemayin, the Rambam talking about, that in the of Yosef is talking about. But besides that there was a clear lack in Kibodavaim on the part of the brothers. Yosef, as the Adam Khoshov is noticing, that the Deir is Parutz in Kibodavaim, that the generation have a lack in, 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 in Kibbut For example, actually, something we spoke about three weeks ago over here, that um, the, the Shimon and Levi's admonishment for going and killing Shechem was not so much for killing Shechem as much as for not consulting with their father. Mm-hmm. and many other examples and so Yosef realized that now is a time when I have to give my life in order to promote to show, set an example of the paramount importance to Kibbutz of Aim and with, from this perspective it's irrelevant whether or not Yosef actually accomplished Kibbutz of Aim because <coughs> Kibbutz of has not become the cardinal factor over here The cardinal factor is dedication to Kibbutz HaVeim. And so, if Yosef was trying to do Kibbutz HaVeim, he failed miserably. But what he was really trying to do was promote the value of Kibbutz HaVeim. It doesn't matter if he accomplished Kibbutz HaVeim in this instance. He showed the brothers, I'm willing to give my life for Kibbutz HaVeim. bottom line is he he still fulfilled kill name also because it doesn't matter what the outcome if you go to do what your parents asked if it doesn't happen it's not your fault well still. you have to you have to know that it's um, you have to know that there has to be a chat. obviously you have to try your best but you can't I mean if your father asks you to make a coffee and there's no coffee. Are you doing hot mitzvah by? Uh, are you doing a mitzvah by going to the kitchen and pretending to make the coffee and coming back? I'm not talking I mean, about pretending. Right. It, the mission. You went and there's no coffee. So, so you tried to do kibud but you didn't. You didn't manage, right? So, if you try, we, we have a principle: if somebody tries to do a mitzvah, and if somebody tries to do a mitzvah, <laughs> the to <laughs> considers it like he did it. So, fine. So, you tried to make your father a coffee. You didn't right. do kibud but we consider it like you did do kibud But here, Yosef was putting his life... According to Rashi, let's take Rashi, which is the most extreme opinion. Yosef knew that he was walking straight into the lions' Then He knew they were trying to kill him. Your father wants... He doesn't want you to be killed. He wants you to come back with regards of how they're doing. Now. Let's think for... Let's talk for a moment about Hanukkah. And then use that as a springboard to talk about other instances of Mysterious Nefesh throughout our nation's history. You with us, Ali? <laughs> Hanukkah was clearly a Shah Hanukkah was a time when Gozruk um, the Bitludosam, they tried to uh, annu- <clears throat> annul the Jewish religion, they didn't let them keep Shabbos, they didn't get, let them keep um, brismila, they wanted to contaminate their daughters, etc, etc. And so, clearly, there was, it was a Shas Hashmad, it was a time when there were decrees, and at this point, we're not just limited to the three cardinal sins, one must give one's life, and mysterious Nefesh for, at least for, Hesia, for um for, for, for any mitzvah. Right the Greek said, yeah. right on the horns of the oxen, which I guess is in modern parla- parlance, we'd probably say, put on the billboards, yeah, hmm. acknowledge on the billboards that you um, have no connection to God, and so we have to demonstrate that we do have a connection to God, okay, so that's fair that we understand why the Yidden, who were loyal and did not become hellenists. Had his Nefesh for these mitzvahs. But, what are we celebrating on Hanukkah besides, uh, besides <laughs> everything else? We're celebrating, like we say in Valanissim, the victory of the war. In fact, according to some opinions, um, the reason why we have eight days of Hanukkah is seven days for the miracle that lasted seven days, and one day, the first day, um, for the miracle of the victory of the war. So, what was this war about? This was a war which... Was pretty much as pointless as Yosef going to to Doisan. They were a small army of five brothers or whatever few troops they had against a mighty Greek army. Like we say in this was the miracle was the victory of um, the few over the many, the weak over the strong, etc., etc. So. You want to have Monsieur Nefesh to do a Brismila? got it. You want to have Monsieur Nefesh to keep Shabbos, I get that too. But Monsieur Nefesh to go to war against the Greeks, that's a suicide mission, that's not Monsieur Nefesh. Now, of course we know the end of the story, it all worked out nicely, but what were, what were they thinking? Here's the, 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 the question that's at the heart of this, and this is what I want to talk about when we come to other parts of history, is what were they thinking? And what the Rebbe suggests in the Sikha is <coughs> that they were thinking along the same lines as Yosef. With an interesting note that in both in the text of Al-Hanissim and in the text of the Rambam, we emphasize the fact that the people who did this was, in, Al- in, the, in the Val-Hanissim, we say, Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Why is it relevant that he was the Kohen Gadol? Because we're trying to draw your attention by association to this Nimukhi Yosef who says that when it's an important person who's in a position of leadership and a he has a different set of rules to go by. Mm-hmm. And so the point of the Noim was not so much to win the war. They knew this may be a suicide mission. As Yosef knew, going to, to his brothers in Dyson may, uh, may well be a suicide mission. But by doing so, they are demonstrating their absolute, unnegotiable and untouchable dedication to Torah. <coughs> to fight those, the Greeks stand, what do the Greeks stand for? The Greeks, the Hellenists, they stand for to make us forget Torah, to make us forget our super-rational this is very important. They're here to make us forget our super rational, yeah. That we all know. We've all learned this many times. The Greeks had no problem with a logical religion. Their problem was with the super rational connection that the Yid has to the mishnah. Super natural. Supra means very natural. Supra oh. means above the. Natural. Ah, okay, that's interesting. I have, a, I have to look. At, I wonder if that's a difference between England and America. But that's very interesting. So suprarational, rational. That's how you would say. Supra. S-U-P-R-A. Supra-rational, um, suprarational connection with the Abishra. Yeah. That's what the Greeks want. That's what the Greeks want to fight. We're, we'll show them, and then it doesn't matter if it's a suicide mission, because by 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 going into by going into the battle, we have demonstrated to the rest of the Jews and to the generations to come what Yiddishkeit is all about. Story is told. Of a Chassid who was imprisoned in Soviet Soviet labor camp, and the I don't know what the, the the head of the thing used to drive him crazy every Shabbos to go and work, and he would beat him and torture him and make fun of him emotionally, physically, and he he pretended to be deaf, deaf, dumb, blind, and stupid. He, he just ignored him. He would be beaten with a rod, and he just sat there. As if, you know, and eventually time came and the guy just gave up and was like, you know what, like, why am I wasting my energy every Shabbos torturing this guy? It doesn't work. I'll just let him be. And this continued for whatever, however long it continued for, where where, where he just sat in his quiet corner every Shabbos and the guy in charge just left him alone. Time comes, and there's a change in uh, management. There's new management, and the the guy changed. And as he's handing over the notes of the operation, he's asking, you know, this guy, he just sits there on Shabbos. Just ignore him. It's not worth your your time. Anyway, this guy is young and uh, uh, idealistic, and yeah, and this is not going to happen under my under my jurisdiction. And the first Shabbos comes, and he goes over to the Yid, the Moshka or whatever, yeah, and he says to him, "You got to go to work." And the guy's telling the story. This, this is the yid repeating the story later. And he's torturing him and beating him. And <clears throat> eventually the guy pulls out his revolver. And he says, you've got to go to work or I'll shoot. And the chassid says, at that point I cracked. And I got up and I said, shoot me. Because the supra-rational." Connection it's not my word. To, to Torah. Well, yeah, to Nebishter. Shabbos is not negotiable. Right? What's negotiable is shoot me or ignore you. That's negotiable. So when I crack, what am I going to do? When I crack, I'll tell you to shoot me. Shabbos is not even... Even when I crack, Shabbos is not negotiable. And indeed the Rambam's words notwithstanding, many, like the Ram, like the Mishnah says, many complete, many and Shlemim, many authorities, many respectable and reliable authorities, say that it's permissible to give one's life for Shabbos. Now, I'm not talking specifically about this chassid, because um, the, the Soviet uh, persecution was probably qualified as the Shah Sashmad, but I'm sure we all know the m- many stories throughout our history of people who um, gave their lives and endured tremendous torture for, um, for, for, for for remaining loyal to Torah and I don't think it's true to say that it was always, it always in, under all those circumstances that it fit the criteria which the Rambam sets for what Mysterious Nafish is about. So, how do we deal with all of this? And if we look through the Torah, the tshuvahs of European Torah through the 11th, 12th, 13th centuries, we find, I would say, three, the discussion about three things which according to the Rambam you could imagine would be completely out of the question and yet we find that these things were done so many times and discussed by the Puskin number one, which we've just mentioned, is giving one's life, even at a time when it's not not required (coughs) to do so but the other two which are perhaps more shocking is A. Suicide people who either individually or collectively committed mass suicide in order to save themselves from being um, tortured by um, whichever group it was. In order to, to to right, so for example, I mean, famously, you have the York massacre. Yeah, anybody ever seen the York? Uh, it's still there. I was I, I used to live in Leeds actually, so it's not far, but. Um, there, if you go to York, there is still today a little um, a hill or mountain of sorts with some sort of remnants of a castle or something. And what they say is that that is the building in which the Jews were um, were held uh, prisoners, and they were supposed to—I well, think it was about then about accepting Christianity. And in the end, they all committed suicide so as not to be right. And 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 many other such similar stories. I'm sure. Yeah, there's a story. There's the famous story. Famous story that the Rebbe spoke about Tera and the other Rabbim told it about Shimon Padri. Does anyone remember the story of Shimon Padri? Shimon Padri was a soldier. You remember this story, anyone? Shimon Padri was a soldier. Um, I'll tell the story. Why not? Do people mind stories. No. <laughs> So, the Tzemach Tzedek, th- there was the Cantonists, and the Cantonists were soldiers which the Tsar had in, in, inscripted, is that the word? Conscript. Conscripted to the army. Um, they were, he would kidnap young Jewish children um, with a very obvious agenda to keep them there for 20-25 years and make them forget their Judaism, and there were many Cantonists, I'm sure there were many who, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, uh, completely disappeared or assimilated, but there were many who, with the little bit of chinuch that they had by the age of 5, 6, or 7, that they were taken away, were able to cling to their faith and came out whole at the end of the 20, 25 years. And there were many good early Yisrael, even later, I think this must be after the Cantonisten, but even the, the Chafetz Chaim, for example, wrote a sefer, which he printed a number of editions of, for the Jewish soldiers, with many shilas, like if they, if they are made to travel on Shabbos, are they allowed to take with their tefillin? you know these type of sh- anyway so so the Tzedek had a lot a lot a, a lot of interaction with the cantonistan. so the Tzedek was once in petersburg st petersburg for whatever government affairs he had to be there for and he went to visit an army base to speak to the cantonistan and he said the Mimer for them and this if i recall correctly the Tzedek heard this story from cantonistan who were at this uh, army base and that there was a Cantonist by the name of shimon Shimon Levin, but they called him Shimon Padri, which apparently, if you pull out your phones, you may even be able to Google this, but apparently Padri in Russian means mighty or strong or something like that. So, Simon, uh, um, Shimon Padri was a the head, had a very uh, prominent position in the Russian, in the Tsar's navy. And um, he was an extremely talented sailor. And... One time, the Tsar came to visit. And uh, the story comes with the name of a city in which this happened, but I don't recall the name of the city. And the Tsar was very impressed with Shimon Padri's uh, acrobatics. He was able to run to the mast and you know, all sorts of crazy jumps. And, you know, the, the Tsar was very, very <coughs> impressed with him. And the Tsar wanted to... Um, honor him with whatever was then the most exalted honor that a citizen that a soldier could get and of course it was illegal for a jew to get this honor but with a name like simon padri or simon simon padri whatever it was yeah the tsar assumed that he was a good russian boy um, and so he sorry and so the tsar summons over the simon padri and he tells him that um that um, he wants to give him this honor. <coughs> um, okay, if, I, if I'm recalling the story correctly, it goes like this, so he confessed to the czar that he was Jewish and the czar was very disturbed by this and very taken by surprise, so he said, no problem. He calls over the priest, we'll arrange, we'll, we'll sort this out. Shevon Paddy says, okay, and then he says, I just want to show the Tsar one more of my feet, so to do it one more time and he runs up to the top of the mast of the ship, the highest thing, and he screams out and he announces that uh, I'm a yid and I'll die as a yid, Shema Yisrael, and he jumped into the water and he drowned the Tsar was very very disturbed by this and um, a number of days later his body washed up to shore and the Tsar together with the priest, announced that they were going to make a very honorable, posthumous baptism or something, and bury him in the cemetery of the Christian soldiers. Um, Two of his friends, um, so the body was under guard, somehow two of his friends managed to get the guard um, drunk, I think they had some risky standard, and um, and uh, to cut a long story short, they dug up a body of a Christian soldier who had recently died, and they did a switcheroo, as Rabbi Epstein would say, and um, they buried Shimon in a cavalry stroll in the local city. There was a Khaver kaddish over there, whatever the name. I forgot the name of the city. And um, anyway, eventually, somehow, this story came to light and these two soldiers who did this trick were also arrested and one of them was tortured to death the other one was sentenced to death right. anyway they were both killed and the Mittler Eber said about these two soldiers that Shimon Padri of course his mysterious Nefesh is van Chashmei but even those two soldiers who risked their lives and didn't just risk their lives they actually got killed to be able to save their friend mm-hmm. from, from such a burial their mysterious Nefesh is is, 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 is right And the question becomes, what do we do with this? I mean, if you want to be cool and think about this from a halachist perspective, I mean, basically, Shimon committed suicide, and um, the two guys just put themselves into a very dangerous situation for a mitzvah, which clearly does not fall into the category of one of the three cardinal sins. So what's so special about this? So, 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 so how, how do we do? You know, how we, how are we to put all of this together? And so, that, so, so, that, so again, so I've spoken about giving one's life for something which is not one of the three things and suicide. A third thing, which shockingly, um, we find the Bali teachings is talking about, and that is where people murdered their own wives and children in order to save them from being um put to the put to the to the test. And I'll read to you. I actually have it, this is an article written by Chaim Soloveitchik, who's from Geyser Tam Trochen, but he's also an academic professor. So it's a, it's an interesting style article, but he has it's useful also because he translates things. So here I'll read to you a tshuva from the Mairami um, Riffenberg. hold on. Here we go. But there's, there's numerous references to to people having killed their own children to save them from Christian persecution. A Jew asked Rabbi Meir, Is penance required of someone who slaughtered his wife and four children during the Great Massacre at Coblenz on April second, twelve sixty-five, the blood-soaked city, because they asked they asked him to kill them, for they saw that God's wrath had been kindled, and the enemies, Christians, began slaughtering the children of the living God. He too wished to kill himself and die, and die with them, but God wished otherwise and saved him by the Gentiles, i.e., they stopped him from killing himself. So this person killed his wife and children because his wife and children asked him to kill them so that they be spared. The the, the, the test and the suffering that the crusaders would bring upon them. And he intended to kill himself too, but somehow that didn't happen. And now he's asking about a Kapara. Ramea wrote to him, I'm at loss as how to rule. Right? Just think about that line for a moment. I'm at loss as how to rule. Because clearly, there's a, there's a problem over here. On the one hand, I believe, I'm sure everyone around this table has their inner conscious telling them that this is the most noble act of basurius nefesh possible, and at the same time the guy's a murderer how how do these two things compute? and that's what the Maram says, I'm at loss, as how to rule anyway, then he goes on into lengthy tshuva and he finishes off with this and I believe these lines are very telling whoever imposes upon him the father penance speaks evil of the pious of preceding generations since his intention is to do good and he hurt those who were most dear to him only out of an abundance of love for our Creator. May he be blessed. And they begged him to do so, and what should not be severe with him at all. May the Rock of Israel avenge our plight in the plight of his turn and the plight of the blood of his servant swiftly in our days, and may our eyes see it and our hearts rejoice. Now, I think that a primary difference between the Rambam and all these Baaliyatosis may be in that the Balayat, the Rambam lived before the Crusaders and the Balei Hattis lived after the Crusaders. What's interesting to note, as he points out over here, is that nowhere do we find halachic literature before the Crusaders discussing these questions of suicide, of murder, in these type of situations. And whilst it's true that we have these justifications of balayatos for these things and you know, various balayatos and different degrees of justification, etc remember I asked you before the question, what were they thinking? what was Yosef thinking? what was the Hashminoim thinking? what were all of these people who did these things? Uh, suicide or other acts like this to save themselves from the Crusaders, what were they thinking? you think did they ask Rav if they're supposed to do this? did they ask Rav if they're allowed to do this? what were they thinking? And here there's a gap because clearly the balitatis let, let let me first say this in a, in in a, in a in a sort of in a, in a legal language maybe and then hopefully in a khsidus language I think it was you know he uses the argue, the, the term redactio ad absurdum The the Balehatoisists knew intuitively that these people are the ultimate heroes of our generation. These are people who gave their life. And so they find precedence in the Gemara, and they find stories. In the Gemara there's actually a story of 400 young children who also jumped when they were taken captive, boys and girls, and they jumped into the ocean and committed suicide instead of being taken captive. And in that case there was no concern, it doesn't appear that there was any concern that they would be... um, um, forced to renounce their religion, they were taken to be uh, sex slaves, basically, right? Which is not pleasant, but it's not one of the cardinal sins. Isn't it? No, to goyim, like it, right? no goyim is not Goyim. According, well, for sure, according to Rabbi Natan, who's the one making this argument, right? So um, the Ra- even the Rambam probably holds it is, but uh, but but most possible it's not. And to Tosos, it is absolutely unimaginable that these people, who we know to be the kadoshim, the haruge malchus shein malo al malosam, there is no. Remember, we mentioned the last time that the Bells were Rav held you shouldn't say kaddish for these people because they're already in the highest possible place. Our Ka- our kaddish won't add anything to them. To suddenly Chassid degrade these people to um the status of murderers and suicide etc was unfathomable to them unfathomable to them mm-hmm. and um so they and so they they justified it now there's many things that we have that we rely on Halacha that may have been something which the rishonim with working with a post-facto justification, that doesn't make it less halachically reliable. And in fact, in Shulchan Aruch, the halacha is not like the Rambam. The halacha is that if one wishes to, and some of say that you have to be, you know, you have to know that you're doing this legitimately, L'Shem Shamayim, but uh, nevertheless, the halacha is passed in Shulchan Aruch, that one may give one's life for Shabbos, even though it's not one of the cardinal sins, and it's not uh, the time of decrees. So in Shulchan Aruch, the halacha is not like the Rambam, the halacha is like Toysavus. But I don't think that's posterior to saying that the Bali were knew where they had to get to, but you know, and they, they sort of tried to find the arguments to get them there afterwards. And in fact, Toysis is very bothered by the Gemara that says in Molly Nogduhu, the Khanani Misholva Azaria. The Gemara says that Khanani Azaria were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to the Tzalem of Nebuchadnezzar and um, they were miraculously saved, and the Gemara says in Ksubis, El-Molein had Nebuchadnezzar um, call, uh, tortured Hanani Meshavah Azaria, they would have caved in and then be- would have bowed down to the Tzalem and Toisha says, how could this possibly be? Now, some would argue, do you know what this Gemara teaches us? This Gemara teaches us that you have to give your life for Ave de but you're not, you're not obligated to endure torture for Ave de You could have said that, that would, that would have been a reasonable argument to make. But yet, no one makes that argument. Toysus doesn't say that. You know what Toysus says? Toysus says something... Very creative. He says that actually, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't asking them to bow down to an idol. He was asking them to bow down to a statue of himself. This wasn't a deity. This was just, he was asking them to show a respect to Nebuchadnezzar, not as a monarch, not as a, not as a deity. And that's why, had he tortured them, they would have done it, because at the end of the day, this wasn't all that terrible. And then the question becomes, oh, well, if that's the case, why did they allow themselves to be put into the fiery furnace for it? A few weeks ago that was here in Chicago, we had this event for the Project Focus and one of the speakers told a beautiful story, the Ruzhina, um the Ruzhina Rebbe was, he said he was a Talmud, I'm not sure if he was Mamesh a Talmud but he was very close to the Abderov the Abderov, and he said at one time the Abderov was very very disturbed, he was very down, and the Ruzhina had the audacity to ask him, what are you so upset about? And he says that I could see He could see the nisyonos, the challenges that the um, generation before Mashiach will, the challenges that they'll be facing, and it's so intense. I I don't know how we're going to survive, and that's why he was so down. So he says. So the Ruzhna responded to him with this Gemara, and the Ruzhna said to him, the Gemara says that had they tortured Hanani, Meshullam, Azaria, they would have they would have uh, caved in. The religion says, "I don't understand. Forget about Tosfos for a second. Why is the Gemara telling me this? Why is the Gemara telling me that Hanani and Mishra were not strong enough, and whilst they agreed to be killed, they would not have—they would not have um, been able to endure torture. Why is that? Why is the Gemara telling? What's the point of the Gemara telling me this?" And he says to him, "He says, he says there's a glaringly obvious question in this Gemara. The Gemara says that had the Vichanetzu tortured them, they would have caved in." Why didn't Nebuchadnezzar torture them? (laughs) If Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow down Mm -hmm. to the idol, why did he kill them? He should have tortured them. You know what the answer is? Because had he tortured them, they would have given in. And the Eibishtu knew that had he tortured them, they would have given in. They would have given in, so the Eibishtu made sure that it didn't occur to Nebuchadnezzar to torture them. And the Rishnah then said to the abdul if you see that these are the challenges that that generation will have, know ye that the Eibishtu doesn't give them a challenge that they can't, and they don't have the strength to overcome. Anyway, so back to back to back to the Tosfos thing over here. So, 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 tosus, so tosus justify all of these things. They justify uh, giving one's life, and, and and this part, this part of Tosfos, we even pass in the Shulchan Aruch. The other parts of Tosfos, which Tosfos justifies, you're not going to find the halacha in Shulchan Aruch which tells you you can do this, namely to commit suicide or to kill somebody else in order to save yourself or them from facing torture to, f- to, to, to do an Avera, right? But Toysus does justify it, and Tostas, um raises these people to the on the most prominent pedal, pedestal of prominence. So, so what's going on over here? And this is a question, that, uh, Here, uh, this is the point that I want to get to, because this is the question that's been bothering me for a long time, and I think that now I have a little bit of a way to, 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 to explain it. Anybody who's learned any chesidus, Rabbi Epstein told a story last week at the oil trip, um, that there was a, somebody who he knows, was in Israel when there was a terrorist attack, and there was an explosion, and here's hears the explosion, and instinctively, what does he do? He ran away. And he says, afterwards he realized that everybody, everybody around him was also running, but they were running in the other direction. They were running to help. And he says, because these people, it's in their DNA. They instinctively know that we don't have to do self-preservation, we have to do self-preservation. Yeah. Right? And it wasn't, it wasn't a decision, a calculation that they made. And anybody who's learned anything about that's what Messirius Nefesh is. And anybody who's learned any Chassidus understands that Messirius Nefesh is this supra-rational, supra-logical, supra-anything that can be described or defined connection to Hashem. And it seems like somewhat of, it feels to me, and this is again, this is a question that I've been sort of disturbed me for a while, that I've been grappling with, how could we have halachas which talk about when it is and is not appropriate to, to, to give one life, a suicide, all of these things it's, it, it's oxymoronic, it doesn't make sense. How could you have a halacha about something which, by definition, can't be defined by halacha? And I believe that, <laughs> in other words, the question, the, the question that I'm asking really is the answer. You know, we have a principle when it comes to almost on the other end of the spectrum. Um, For example, there are certain halachas where there's something that's permissible, but it's halacha vein merenkein. In other words, the halacha is such and such, but if somebody asks you a shayla, you're not allowed to tell him that he's allowed to do that. And the reason you're not allowed to tell him is because it can be misconstrued to allow something else. And in fact, this is a story that's happened to me. Somebody came to me and asked me, am I allowed to do this? And I told him, go and read this paragraph in Shulchan Aruch. You read the paragraph, you'll know what you're allowed to do. I can't tell you what you're allowed to do. Right? So, we have such a principle. Or we have, for example, the concept of that there's certain things which we don't demand of you, they're impossible. And so, if it's impossible, we don't demand it of you. And perhaps... We could take this same thing which we use to allow certain behaviors which may not be so perfect. And let's take this to the other extreme. Torah is not given to angels. Torah is given to human beings with Bechira Chavshis. Human beings with free choice. That's what Torah is about. The definition of Torah is law like the Rambam says, the definition of law is that you're telling somebody who has a choice what to do, and you're telling him which, which choice to make. That is the definition of Torah, that is the definition of law. And when we are talking in the lexicon of Chassidus about nefesh roch neshama chaya, when we're talking within the realm, within the purview of the level of the neshama, the levels of the neshama with which we usually operate, So that's what Halacha is about. Halacha tells you um, uh, we're talking here about nefesh, there's an emotional connection with Hashem there's a logical connection with Hashem, nefesh, neshama, chaya the different levels, the way Jesus explains it, and in all of these levels there are rules. When you t- there are, of course, the emotional rules don't necessarily apply to logic, and logical rules don't apply to emotions. We all know that, right? Even if something doesn't make sense, we may still be upset about it. But even though we know there's nothing to be upset of, somebody may have a fear of, uh, the, you know, some phobia of something. He knows it doesn't make sense. But logical rules don't work with emotions, etc., etc. But that's all when you're in the realm of rules, when you're in the realm of Nefesh Ruch Neshav When a person is faced with the ultimate... Challenge to his connection with Hashem that's when his yechidah becomes revealed that's when the yechidah Sheben nefesh is, uh, uh, is revealed, like the Alter Rebbe says in t- chapter 25 of Tanya that if a person would realize how every ma- when a person is faced with temptation he may give in to temptation, when he's faced with giving his life to God, he's going to live his life to God how does it make sense? says the Alter Rebbe, because he convinces himself that by doing any other Avera, he's not severing his connection with God but as soon as he realizes that, severing his, that, that that he's severing his connection with God, let's say by idol worship, then his Yechidah comes out in full force. When the person's Yechidah comes out in full force, he, is, he no longer has a choice. And so, if you ask me, may I commit suicide? May I kill my children to save them from the persecution of the crusaders? If you ask me the question, the answer is no. Because that is a gap that halakha cannot bridge by definition. But if you ask, but, but if somebody did it, when I look at this in retrospect, and I see somebody did it, I'm not talking here about some um, sort of dodgy post facto justification. If somebody did it, I can look in, rare, in, in retrospect and in my rear view mirror, I am able to see how the reason he did it was because he had his Yechidah Sheba revealed. He didn't have a choice. Halacha can't talk about something for which there's no choice. He didn't have a choice. That's why he gave his life. That's why he committed suicide. Because he didn't have a choice. And so. What was Yosef thinking? What were the Noim thinking? What were the people who committed suicide thinking? Which Rav did they ask? Which, uh, what were the people who killed their children to save them from the Crusaders thinking? What was the people who ran into the explosion uh, uh, thinking? What was the Chasid who, 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 who died because he wouldn't eat uh, uh, you know, something which wasn't Bishul Yisrael? Uh, uh, what was he thinking? He wasn't thinking! It was his of nefesh. If you're thinking, the answer is no. But the message of Hanukkah is that the herein is the gap, which halacha cannot. That, that, that this is the limits of halacha. The limits of halacha. Halacha talks to nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya. Halacha is finite by definition. It's the most. It's, it's 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 the it's the ultimate. To in any way diminish the value of halacha and how by fulfilling halacha we are connecting to Hashem, to the infinite God, through the finite fulfillment of mitzvahs. But when we come to a situation, when the crusaders are attacking the town, now we're dealing about Yachid Nefesh, now there is no free choice anymore. And if there's no free choice, just like we say that if there's no free choice and a person was coerced into doing something, we don't hold him liable. These people were coerced into giving their life for Hashem, and to of suicide and therefore this is the most prominent um, level of Kiddush Hashem so, uh, yeah, so this is a question which like I said I've been grappling with for a while and I still haven't answered all the questions and Yat Hashem and Eli you'll be there next Thursday there'll be a class about the Pittsburgh um, uh, thing and, and the part of it that I, that, that i are still trying to come to terms and to, um, to be neat, so you'll forgive me then if there's some overlap between what we spoke today, but the part of it that I still don't have a clarity with is about people who are killed not by choice, but people who are killed just because they're Jewish, how does that fit into this purview of Yechidesha B'Nefesh, and I hope that by next Thursday I'll have some, some way of explaining it, and if I don't, I'll say I don't know. <laughs> um, um, is it the Yechidesha B'Nefesh that makes a condition? No, but, well, well,
1: I so mean the question, the question, right. the
0: question so is why do, we, why, why, it seems to be axiomatic and definitely in the Rebbe's talks it was axiomatic that somebody who was killed because he was a Jew is, has, has fulfilled the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem, of Nikdash to B'nei Israel. Right, so and why the is question that connected is, to... Well, I don't know if it's connect. well, I would assume it's connected to the Kiddush but even if it's not How is that a kiddush Hashem? If somebody gives his life not to bow to an idol or not to desecrate Shabbos, that is a kiddush Hashem. He's given his life to show the prominence of uh, uh, God's authority over this world. Mm -hmm. If somebody (coughs) is killed because he's a Jew, uh, that sounds more like a chilul Hashem to me. He's killed because he's a Jew. That doesn't sound very... How is that sanctifying God's name? How is that sanctifying? Sanctifying. But what were you doing at
1: the time? Nothing.
0: He was killed right like the people in Pittsburgh. They were killed because they were Jewish. So in that's course, not that's course, not why the they were killed. The Rebbe's kill. response to a certain Jew in Israel, who tried to say that the Holocaust was because of the sins of the Jews, the Rebbe said that the Jews who died in the Holocaust are all died al kiddush hashem. And my question is why. When yeah. Okay. Right, right. Said that, so. yes, that, that I just said, I said it's axiomatic, it's axiomatic, and definitely in the rabbis t- it's axiomatic that uh, somebody who was pray. killed because he's a Jew, is a kiddush Hashem, and the, to me, the missing link over here is why. why. How do we understand it? How do we understand that? Yeah. And next Thursday, I'm giving a class to um, young people, you. and the definition of young people is like this. We had in Rambam a few weeks ago, <laughs> in the laws of, listen to this. In the laws of of nida, there's a there's a, there's a oh. certain law that applies to old women, and the Rambam says, at what stage is a woman old, as far as this halacha is concerned? <laughs> and the answer is from the stage that you could call her old to her face, and she takes no offense. And so the same applies <laughs> to this class next Thursday evening. It's posted on the wall, um, and oh, yeah. if you consider yourself young, you're welcome to join us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> good. Let me let me read to you here, just to finish off. I'll I'll read to you. I'll read to you in academic language, but I think he has a um, he has he has a he, this is a this is a very important point in that that this point, my my argument that there was no choice. This is this is this is, a, this is an important point. I'll just read to you this briefly. The problem of the conversion of the children highlighted the radically changed circumstances with circumstance within which the halacha had now to operate in Tanaic times. Sorry. What are you reading from? In Tamnaic times, the Jews were in their own land, or more precisely, the society in which the Tanoim lived and which they addressed resided in their own land. When oppressed, listen to this, when oppressed by an occupying force far smaller than the indigenous population, the children of the martyrs would be raised by their own countrymen. In exile, however, the murderers would raise the victims' children. The consequences of mass martyrdom were frightening. The choice that now confronted the Jews probes the limits of halacha, the laws of martyrdom treat the issue. The laws, remember, this is that the laws of martyrdom treat the issue of when one is obliged to lay down one's own life. What happens after one is dead is irrelevant legally, but only too relevant in real life. The fate of the child of the now dead martyr was out of the purview of halacha, but remained at the very center of Jewish concerns for their religious con- um, continuance. Halacha could not adequately, adequately address that burning question. No. And so Jews addressed it on their own. Hala, the, in, I'm skipping a bit The inadequacy of their answers were not simply because they were given... No, sorry, I want to skip that line. The, received hal- the inadequacy was also because the received halacha, in other words the halacha that we know from the Ramah, was inadequate to resolve the tragic question raised by the present condition. What was the point of Jewish martyrdom if the children would be reared as Christians? So there was no choice. Hmm? That's the point.